Hi guys, this is Carly from Texas, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. But I do follow at Bully with a Y Popeye on Instagram, because cute dogs are worth following. But garbage libtard podcasts are not. That's at Bully with a Y Popeye on Instagram. Follow him. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. everybody, welcome to Ye Old Program. I doubt it with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. I'm joined today on episode 500 by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page. Can you believe it? 500. 500 numbered and episodes. Yes, that's important. That's an important clarification because we do have the bonus episodes that as well. That means 572 574 regular episodes. I mean, episodes overall. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. I don't either. I'm right. sick. I'm sick. Yes, you're getting sick, but... Like fe- I have a fucking fever right now. You did take Dayquil, though. Yes. And you are drinking, I hope, copious amounts of water. This is a giant glass of water. Like there a 40-ounce glass of water. That's what you need, right? When you're getting sick, flush it all out. At least that's what they say. That's what they say. That's what they say. Um, I 500. I, Yes, I'm very happy and proud of us for making it all the way to 500. <laughs> what you, Without killing one another. Yes, that. <laughs> um, but what's interesting about it is that the Mueller report was finished. Yeah. And you made this comment that it was finished just in time for the 500th episode. Yeah, well. W- and it, how fitting. It'll be that mark that we can always be like, oh, when did that drop? Oh, that was episode 500. Oh, yeah. That it, that it dropped. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll That's be an easy... An easy uh, reference point. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about this article that I read, and I think it's important. Oh, my gosh. Is it old? It's old. It's from 2015. You know, I hate it when that happens, right? I always think something is new, and then it's not. Anyway, it's important to look at dates, everybody, but this doesn't really apply to that because we're talking about it. Well, also, it's not news. It's not like like outdated news. It's... It's a feel-good piece, right? Yeah. Well, or yes. informational, kind of. Yeah. More of a teaching, instructive kind of thing. Yeah. But this uh, woman, Emily McDowell, she was diagnosed with stage three Hodg- Hodgkin's lymphoma at age 24. Wow. And she went through nine months of chemotherapy and radiation, and then she went into remission. And she said that the most difficult part of her illness wasn't losing her hair, um, or, quote, being erroneously erroneously called sir by Starbucks baristas or sickness from chemo. It was the loneliness and isolation I felt when many of my close friends and family members disappeared because they didn't know what to say or said the absolute wrong thing without realizing it. Okay. Yeah. So it was the fact that her friends and family either awkwardly said something or just disappeared altogether because they didn't know what to say and yeah, the I think, awkward thing i think this is common for a lot of people sure not knowing what to say when someone dies uh when someone gets diagnosed with a life-threatening illness and i think it's awkward in our society because we don't talk about death and it's yeah. something that a lot of us are afraid of and it happens behind the scenes right we like go away to do it we don't <laughs> yeah it's like sanitized like yeah like like buying your meat yeah. In a grocery store, it's kind of sad. Same way. Same kind of a way. Right. You just see the, the packaged meat. You don't you don't put a face to the to, to the to the gruesome, to the the hard thing to think about. Exactly. Yeah. So she created these cards, a series of empathy cards, and she basically put messages on them that she felt she would have wanted to hear when she was sick. Yeah. 
And some of them are really great. And this is one of them. Uh, Just so you know, it says this on the front of the card. Just so you know, I am totally on board for driving you to treatment, cleaning your place, helping pick out flattering wigs, coming up with badass visualization exercises. And if you twist my arm, I guess I'd be cool with lying on the couch watching trashy TV together. (laughs) I know it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. I love you. So, you know, just like a moving... I'm here for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to do all of these things. This is another one. Please let me be the first to punch the next person who tells you everything happens for a reason. I'm sorry you're going through this. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's good. That one really speaks to me. That's really good. Yeah. Not just the punching aspect either. Just the everything happens for a reason. Yeah. She also said... You got chosen (laughs) to have cancer. Yeah. Everything happens for... There's a reason... You got cancer other than the fluke of biology. Yes. <laughs> she also went on to say, quote, get well soon cards don't make sense when someone might not. Sympathy cards can make people feel like you think they're already dead. A fuck cancer card is a nice sentiment. But when I had cancer, it never really made me feel better. And I never personally connected with jokes about being bald or getting a free boob job, which is what most cancer cards focus on. Yeah. So she kind of she just saw this gap in the card. Um I want to call it literature, but that doesn't really in the card industry. Yeah, the card industry. Yeah, and she's filling it with these more creative and meaningful messages. Yeah, I think there is something to the friends who I'm sure love her dearly, and we're just it's it's kind of a snowball effect. I think what happens is it's awkward at first, so maybe you don't make contact or you delay it. And then when you get really wanting to do it, then it's been so long and then you feel guilty about how long it's been. So you wait even longer and then it's crazy long. And Mm -hmm. then, I mean, I think friendships probably end because of shit like this rather than just like being able to look, I fucked up. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk. I didn't know what to say. People are just, they don't. They don't know what to say, and then they don't know what to say about not knowing what to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I want to read two more cards. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay. No, I was just... I had that thought. No, I think it's... I, I didn't want to lose it. I think it's really true, and I love the way that you phrased it, and hopefully people can recognize that impulse in themselves and kind of get out in front of it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Not allow it to do damage, but uh, one of the cards says, I'm so sorry you're sick. I want you to know that I will never try to sell you some random treatment I read about on the internet. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. And then, well, what's great about these, hang on, I'll let you yeah. read the last one. What's great about these is, th- this is that's clearly something that happened to her more than once. Right. In, enough, enough to it... Enough for it to have left a, an indelible mark on her right. that she wanted to write a card about it. Yes. <laughs> Which makes you also think she really did need her good friends because the shitty assholes who wanted to sell her essential oils mm-hmm. were the only ones who that were left who ended up trying to be predatory. Yeah. And use her illness as a way to put a few dollars in their pocket. Yeah. Well, in this one that she wrote says, I promise never to refer to your illness as a journey unless someone takes you on a cruise. Yeah, I don't. Those bother me. This this weird, nebulous, weirdo language. Well, I think people just don't know what to say and they're trying to be positive. And this is another problem with our society is that we're like always... Uh, do we feel happy? Are we happy? If we're not happy, we need to be happy. Like happiness is the goal. And it's like, maybe happiness isn't possible all the time, you know? So like we need to learn to be at peace when we maybe don't feel super happy or when something is going wrong and we don't need to just automatically be like, Oh, something's wrong. Well, let's try to get positive. Well, the positivity, because I'm a happy, positive guy. Mm -hmm. I'm generally upbeat. I, I don't, I rarely have like bad moods. I mean, you know, this is kind of my deal, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's healthy to always be happy, especially in the face of cancer. Right. And sometimes you're not dealing with what you need to be dealing with if you're all fucking smiles. Yeah. And sometimes people need to have that time. 
Yeah. To mourn and to grieve and to process. Yeah. Feel down about what they're going through and then get back up. But if they don't have someone to to talk to when that is the present feeling that they're having or the person that they're talking to about it is like, well, let's, you know, put your game face on. It's a journey. It's a reason. It's going. It's happening for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it feels like you are discounting what they're going through and not actually taking it in and addressing it, which is what someone who is supporting you should do. Yeah, there, I think there also should be a card. I just had this thought that a card, but people also should know that when you have a friend that's going through something like this and it doesn't have to be cancer or you know, if it's addiction, if it's whatever, the de- a death in the family, you don't always have to offer to do something. You can right. just, hey, you want me just to come and hang out in the house with you? Right. I'll just be there. Yeah. Yeah. You can just listen to me fucking breathe. Yeah. <laughs> we can read books in the same room together. Exactly. Just so you have somebody with you. Yeah. No, you, for sure. It's not like doing something. It's not this active, let's put smiles on our face and go on fucking roller coasters. Yes. No, for sure. Uh, I... <laughs> I I became very interested in grief and this topic because of my my first internship experience working with some clients and I started to consume the literature on this and so I I'm very fascinated by people who are diagnosed with terminal illnesses and uh, what their experience has been with that and and their family members and how they react and, you know, all that stuff and just hearing their experience of how frustrating it can be when you're trying to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. deal with people who care about you, but they just don't know how to process what you're going through. And sometimes it's even about them like facing their own mortality, right? Um, like looking at someone close to them that is going to die kind of reminds them that they're going to die and then they can withdraw sure for that reason too so i mean i know it's really complicated and there's a lot going on but i i really liked these cards and i thought they were very cute and also have like meaningful messages you know just it's meaningful educational yeah also i mean there there is there's a there's a message in the message, am I not really getting that out there right? I mean, e- even just the cards themselves should make you think. Even if you're just standing there looking at what cards to buy, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, yeah, wow, that's that's another way to act. That's another way to behave. Yeah. So they, they're instructional just by looking at them. Yes. Yeah. So Good. again, emilymcdowell.com is where you can look at those or get them. We will put that in the show notes. Yeah. So if you are in the in the market for some cards that are unique or whatever, mm-hmm. or you have somebody who's in this situation right now, I mean that that's very, very likely. Yeah, we will put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it is big news today. I think we're just going to get right to it and talk a little bit about the Mueller report. Uh, it's not well. Maybe we'll just get to it and then I can give the caveats after. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we definitely didn't want to leave the Mueller report having dropped into the hands of the attorney general without at least talking about it a little bit. Last night, Friday, this is Saturday afternoon right now, but last night when it dropped, I watched CNN and I flipped back and forth between CNN and MSNBC for about an hour. And then I turned that shit off. <laughs> because even right fucking now. Yeah, it's been 24 constant. hours later, 26 hours later. It's been constant. Nothing new. Right. We don't know anything right, new. Nothing. Right. And every five minutes, breaking news, the Mueller report. And we're going to talk for another hour about how we fucking don't know anything. Yeah. And that's the thing. Nobody knows anything. Yeah. 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 And if you are following someone who claims to know something, you should be very suspicious of that person. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe they're a Russian bot because be aware of the, (laughs) seriously though, be aware of the Russian bots who are out there trying to sow discord. Oh, for sure. Uh, Yeah. 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 I'm Uh, trying to make a real point, (laughs) even though. (laughs) I, I just, you know, yes. anytime anybody gets accused of being a Russian bot, it brings me joy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're not going to, I mean, we're not going to get into detail because we really don't know anything. If right. you, and like Brittany just said, if you if you hear people who are, see, I told you there was nothing. Right. Yeah, like Tommy Laren and Kyle Kalinske, that secular yeah. um, 
whatever the whatever the fuck uh, YouTube yeah, guy. I don't know who he, he is. too is like. See, I told you. What did you tell us? We don't even know yet. Yeah, no one knows anything. Right. What we're entering into. Well, first of all, he finished his report. Okay, That's and right. he has delivered it to Attorney General Bill Barr. And also, no new indictment. There's not going to be any further indictments. Right. We know that. Okay, that's the only thing that is known. That is right. And so right now, we are kind of in this holding pattern, waiting to see what William Barr's decision is about how much of it he's going to show to the public, how much of it he's going to show to Congress, if he's going to show none of it to anybody. If the White House gets a look at it before anybody, no one knows anything. Right. He's still, they just showed him going into his house. He's going in to deliberate with his family, maybe. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What should we do, guys? Those motherfuckers They're going to be mad. (laughs) So, so let's just, let's take a deep breath. Yes. Maybe when you're listening to this, you know, tomorrow or maybe even Monday, whenever you hear this, hell, there might be another episode by the time you listen to this. <laughs> um, just let's let's sit back and wait. Uh, the uh, we're I'm going to play some sound here from uh, the Washington Post did a great little blurb about four minutes or so uh, about the the Mueller report is is complete. Now what? That's the name of the video on on YouTube. But I'm going to play that. But I just want everybody to be metered because I've long said that whatever the conclusion that is came to by Robert Mueller, we need to respect it because he is an honorable man. He is a thorough man. He ran a tight ship. There were no leaks coming from the Mueller team. Nothing got leaked to the press. Nothing. He did his job in an exemplary fashion. He's not going to skirt policies of the of the Justice Department. He's not going to skirt the law. He's doing everything by the books. Having said that, and I'm not going to discount what I just said, I, given everything we know, I cannot imagine that nothing is going to come of this. That nothing was found. Let me say that. I cannot imagine, given everything we know and all the documents and the indictments that contain redactions and everything else, I can't imagine that something wasn't found out. You mean you mean you can't imagine that there won't be new information in this final report? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is Donald Trump going to be uh, indicted and impeached because of this? Eh, probably not. Who knows, though? We'll see. Likely not. Mm-hmm. But we also talked about this, remember? Early on. We tried to say, hey, everybody, when when the talk started happening like two months ago, I think is when they started saying. Yeah, when saying, CNN said, oh, any day now. And I, I think I said, nah, it seems a little early. Yeah. And we talked about it. We said, listen, you need to be prepared to accept what the Mueller report yes. says. Yeah. Right? And if you find yourself right now saying... If it doesn't say that he colluded with Russia and he needs to be indicted, I'm not going to accept it. Yeah. You might want to take a few deep breaths and relax because it is important to accept the results of the investigation because we know Robert Mueller to be a fair and reasonable person yeah, yeah. and a thorough investigator. And if, if he has concluded what he's concluded, then we need to accept that. Right. Right. Having, I agree with that, and I'll reiterate what I said. I believe that. However, I just don't see a scenario where Trump is exonerated completely of wrongdoing, whether it be about um, the conspiracy or collusion charges or even um, obstruction of justice. Something, something. We'll see. I understand that. But if it does... Yeah, no. If it does, it does. <laughs> right. For sure. And, and I'm I'm just getting concerned because some of the posts that I see um, are a little, you know, um, excitable. Like no matter what, <laughs> we know we know we we know what we know. When really we don't know anything. Yeah. Robert Mueller knows because he he had access to deep dives of of intelligence and counterintelligence officials and their reports. So anyway. I'm going to play this from the Washington Post. I think they did a really good job. It's very even-handed, very metered, and it covers a lot of bases about now that the report is in, now what? 
Special Counsel Mueller has finished his portion of this investigation and submitted his report to Bill Barr. And now is where sort of the real drama begins. Bill Barr has to decide what of this report is he going to send to Congress? What of this report is he going to make public? If anything... Mr. President, should the Mueller report be released when you're abroad next week? That'll be totally up to the new Attorney General. He's a tremendous man. At the end of the day, I would make a decision uh, in good faith based on uh, the laws and the facts. The one question that we sort of hope the report will answer once it becomes public, if it becomes public, is did anyone on the Trump campaign actually conspire with the Russians to influence the election? I have no reason to doubt that the Russians uh, attempted to interfere in our election. No matter what Bill Barr decides today, I don't think this report can stay hidden forever. He's going to face such intense pressure from Congress, from reporters, from the public, and someday, no matter what he wants to do now, this thing is going to be released. He cannot keep these secrets forever. The fresh political storm is going to be Congress's effort to reveal what Robert Mueller found. Democrats control the House and Congress, and that means they have subpoena power. So you're going to see some of these key committees like the House Intelligence Committee, like the House Oversight Committee, throw their weight around and try to get to the bottom of what Robert Mueller found. This is politics, right? They want to figure out what President Trump did wrong and expose that. On the Senate side, though, Republicans are in control. And while they certainly have an interest, and many of them have talked about having interest in having Mueller's work be aired publicly, particularly Trump's strongest allies, are going to seek to undercut what Robert Mueller found or undercut his investigation. But at this point in the investigation, Special Counsel Mueller has charged 34 people. Among those people charged are Mike Flynn, the former National Security Advisor, Paul Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman, Rick Gates, his former deputy campaign chairman, Roger Stone, his friend of several decades, and the list goes on and on. Robert Mueller has also charged two big batches of Russians with election-related crimes. One big batch who Robert Mueller says sought to influence the election basically via a social media campaign, and another batch that he claims hacked Democrats' emails and sort of worked to get those emails published with the anti-secrecy organization WikiLeaks. Robert Mueller has not directly alleged that anyone in Trump's orbit actively conspired with Russia to influence the election. All of the charges have been about lying to investigators, lying to Congress. Certainly there's been some Russia-related activity in there, but nothing directly to the, to the core mission, which is did the Trump campaign conspire with Russia to influence the election? Robert Mueller is a special counsel, and he operates under the special counsel regulations. Under the, under the current regulations, the special counsel report is confidential. And but the, report that, the report that goes public would be a report by the attorney general. They don't offer a lot of specificity on what happens next. Bill Barr has latitude to kind of say something himself to Congress. I am going to try to get the information out there cons consistent with these regulations. And to the extent I have discretion, I, I will exercise that discretion to do that. It's possible he could sort of read, digest Mueller's report and put together his own summary. It's possible he could just sort of write a cover letter and say, hey, Congress, Robert Mueller is done with his investigation. This is what we. This is what he's found attached as his report. We don't really know because the regulations don't say precisely what it is that Bill Barr should do once he gets this report. So I thought that this was a great summary. For of, sure. <laughs> I mean, when this news broke, I think everyone was freaking out and what's going to happen next and that was a perfect illustration of what we're waiting for now and like william barr said at his confirmation hearing that was his confirmation hearing right that's right yeah he the the, the sound of him the yes. clips of him yeah that yeah. was confirmation that he wants to get the information out there um in the way that that aligns with legal requirements and whatever it might be. Justice Department policy and law, yeah. I hope that he gives us all of the information. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, so does the House. That's what the, I want. The House voted unanimously to make the report public. Yeah. Republicans and Democrats, mm -hmm. all of them. Yeah. The Democrats want to go a step further, though. Mm -hmm. 
they want like sources and methods kind of a thing. Yeah. The underlying evidence. Yeah, that's right. Everything. Now, the problem with that is, and I have a little bit of um, footing in this area, is that grand jury proceedings are secret. Mm. So they, they would need a court order. I mean, they would need, it would need to go to court to make, to unseal those. Mm-hmm. Look, We'll see. I mean, there's going to be a lot of political posturing going forward over the next several months, I believe. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I would be pretty pleased if the... Here's what's going to happen. In the Senate, they're going to sit on their fucking hands. Nothing's going to be done. Nothing. Good times. Chuck Schumer will talk. Mitch McConnell will hide under his desk. Nothing will be done. Mm-hmm. In the House, on the other hand, the Judiciary Committee, the Intelligence Committee... Possibly even the, the the government oversight committee, they're all going to be going into overdrive mm-hmm. to call witnesses, maybe up to and including Robert Mueller. That'll be good, mm-hmm. even if it is behind closed doors. It would be better if uh, a percentage of it was in public. Some of it will some of it will not be able to be done in public because, like I said, uh, it, it is th- this does involve and contain. Highly sensitive, top secret information um, from the highest levels of our intelligence infrastructure. Because mm-hmm. it deals with, you know, intelligence and sec- our, the security of our voting system and, and, and what we know and how we get information uh, from a, a, about other, other nations and stuff. Right. So we'll see. I, I, I as, as you've already admonished everybody to let's. Take a chill pill, Bill. I mean, let's you know, sit back and see what happens. There's no use stressing out. There's no use freaking out about things that are wildly out of your control. Well, and remember, so like you were saying, Fox News is kind of running with this narrative of, oh, no more indictments. The president has been cleared. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Again, my favorite word lately that's fucking bananas. But we we also said this, though, on that episode when we encouraged everyone to calm down, uh, that just because there will be no more indictments doesn't mean that Donald Trump isn't going to be implicated in That's nefarious right. activity. Yes. So calm down. <laughs> yeah. I, here, here's what I think the more likely um, trajectory of this is. Donald Trump doesn't get impeached. Donald Trump doesn't get reelected. And then Donald Trump gets indicted on several things, including state charges, which cannot be pardoned. His home state of New York is not going to fuck around about the way he's conducted himself as president of the United States. And he will be indicted on all bank fraud. I would, would be my guess. Um, there's still federal elections violations that will uh, will come around, and if we have a Democratic president, there's not going to be a pardon in sight. Mm. So we'll see. Yeah, but let's not get our hopes that the work's going to be done for us and he's going to be impeached. It's it might be ultimately better. It doesn't make me feel good to say it, but it might ultimately be better just to beat him at the election at the at the ballot box. The quote unquote fair and square way. Yeah. And then uh, have him just be a one term piece of shit loser. Well, and I know that there have been people that have been trying to, people in the liberal community saying, hey, Robert Mueller can't save us. You know, um, that this problem that we're having is kind of larger than that. And we need to be paying attention to all of those other things as well. And not just putting everything on Mueller, hoping that he will come through. Like we're all putting everything on RBG to stay alive. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so I understand that perspective too. And I think we've done a good job on the show of not acting like that. Right. That it's the be all end all with Robert Mueller. Uh, I don't think that we have acted like that. No. Well, I hope no one thinks that. Although I'm not sure anymore. Yeah. People are telling me I once said John Oliver isn't funny. And I don't remember ever saying that. It's fucking bananas. I'm always being gaslit. That's what's happening. (laughs) Your life is just one giant gaslight. It's exhausting. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So anyway, we'd love to know what you think, though. 657-464-7609. If you have any nuggets of wisdom or questions or 
thoughts on the matter. You can also email voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. You can support us on Patreon. You can support us on Amazon, dollamore.com slash Amazon. And if you do not want to support us in those ways, you can write a review on iTunes. Uh, Do not use profanity because it will not post. So make sure that you rate and review us on iTunes. We really like reading those. It's a lot of fun. And it also helps people find the show. Yes. The other thing that you can do, which is real easy, tell a friend about the show. I'm sure you got a family member that shares some of your ideologies. Mm-hmm. You might even have a, a buddy or a, a girlfriend who who appreciates the F word said once or twice yeah. in the course of talking about politics. Mm-hmm. This is their show. Maybe a friend who loves jokes even. If you have a friend who isn't averse to jokes. Yes. All of Jesse D's jokes. <laughs> oh, is that what they are? Yeah, or the voices. Maybe someone really loves impressions in your life. I don't do impressions. What are you, you talking about? You do many about? impressions. You do many impressions. Uh, your best one. Your best one is uh, Yosemite Sam. Is that his name? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we love you guys, and we appreciate all of the support, all of the love that you give us. Uh, it means it means the world to us. So. Let's let's move on. Speaking of me- meaning the world, that's uh, going to be a terrible segue. Mike Pompeo is a jackass, everybody. <laughs> Secretary of State of the United States going on a Christian television program and answering questions about, is Donald Trump like Queen Esther in the Bible? Has Donald Trump been raised up by almighty God? To take care of the Jewish people. You would expect uh, maybe a more diplomatic answer from our chief diplomat than, well, as a Christian, I think that's very possible. Creepy. I'm a creepy guy. But <laughs> hey, this, all of hey, this. What was that? I don't know. This all happened, by the way. That was an impersonation. That's not an impersonation. Yeah, it was. But sounds nothing like Mike Pompeo. It sounds just like him. So anyway, he sat down with the the most orange makeup just on his face. And Mike Pompeo is one of these guys. And look, I'm a fat guy, so I could talk about fat guys. But he's got a lot of neck that kind of becomes part of the face. (laughs) Like you you think if you stab it with a pen, like gravy would pour out. You know what I mean? Like jowly, kind of jowly. Like you expect when he talks, it's going to be like... uh, I'm Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. You know, kind of a hollow sounding. He has a lot of neck, unquote, Jesse Dollimore. Yeah, so, but they didn't make up the neck, which is really part of the face, in his case. If you're going to put makeup on your face, you need to make sure that your face matches your neck, reasonably. Well, especially when your face just blends into the neck. It's just part of the face, in his case. Yes, So anyway, I was just a little, you're not going to see any of that, but just picture that when when you're listening to this audio. Um, There's a little bit of of a package of them explaining how Donald Trump went to Israel and Netanyahu declared it a miracle, a pura miracle over the, the high holiday. And then they go, they cut to the interview with him and it just goes downhill from there. President Trump showed that strong commitment again by announcing, through Twitter of course, that it's time for the U.S. to fully recognize Israel's sovereignty over the disputed Golan Heights, music to the ears of the Israeli Prime Minister. He did it again. First he uh, recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moved the U.S. Embassy here. Then he pulled out of the disastrous Iran Treaty and reimposed sanctions. Netanyahu called it a pura miracle as Jews around the world celebrate how God saved them through Esther from the evil Haman and the Persians. 
with modern-day Persians in Iraq threatening them now, and with President Trump boldly making moves in support of Israel, it begged for an obvious question. Could it be that, that President Trump right now has been sort of raised for such a time as this, just like Queen Esther, to help save the Jewish people from an Iranian menace? As a Christian, I, I certainly believe that's possible. Uh, it was remarkable. So we were down in the tunnels where we could see uh, 3,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago, if I have the history just right, uh, uh, to see the remarkable history of the faith in this place. Uh, and the work that our administration has done to make sure that uh, this democracy in the Middle East of this Jewish state remains, um, I'm confident that the Lord is at work here. Mm. Confident that the Lord is at work. Secretary of State for the United States of America. Mm -hmm. So much for that uh, separation of church and state. Mike Pompeo is, I'm, I'm very confident that the Lord is at work here. Mm -hmm. Every one of our fucking cabinet is a fucking supervillain. <laughs> Every goddamn one of them. <laughs> well, I wanted, I wanted to talk about this poll, and this is actually the perfect time to do it, um, about how many people actually believe that God wanted Donald Trump to become president. Uh, you heard about this, right? No, I didn't. Donald Trump! Baby. This guy did, though. He probably took the poll. One quarter of registered voters say that God wanted Donald Trump to be president. Wow. Almost half of registered Republican voters agree with that as well. And, you know, only half, only yeah. almost half. That's pretty shocking to me. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 37 percent of Republicans disagreed with that. Which was, which well, is interesting. It is one of those things that if you believe that that, that God has raised up Donald Trump, and you have to just give you have to give deference and respect to the leader because God made it so. Well, then he also made Obama so. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> I know that their logic doesn't apply here. It does not when you're when you're dealing with people. You know, Britney's Britney's favorite. She's not a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it so much. It, it's it just, never gets old for yeah, me. You know, when Anita is my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> when you're dealing with these types, it's not like it, uh, it, 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 you know, when there's a Democrat in office, it's God turning his face from us. It's the Antichrist. And when Antichrist. you get Donald Trump in there, mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Yes. Raw dog and porn stars. Oh. <laughs> he's, he's the God candidate. Get oh. the fuck out of here. It's just, it's uh, absurd. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absurd. They grab them by the pussy. Yeah, they love it. They'll let you do anything if you're famous. Uh, Select handpicked by God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he picks the best kinds. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. So anyway, the uh, best presidents he picks. The, the, yeah, he does. <laughs> rewarding the best people uh, with power. With the best brains. Not a great choice. So the other thing I want to talk about before we <laughs> before we move on is um, Steve King. Just fucking Steve King, man. What did he do now? So there is... Well, Republican congressman yeah, from Iowa, right. Steve King. Republican congressman from uh, the 4th of the 6th District of Iowa. Um, a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, just... Long a, history. A total racist. Yeah. A total, total white supremacist, white nationalist douche. Steve King, the, the guy who finally, when he literally said in a New York Times interview that, like, white supremacist, when did this become a bad thing? Yeah, Or white right. nationalist. Right. Then the Republicans were like, whoa. Hey, we, dude. <laughs> we're not going with the dog whistles anymore. We're just actually using those phrases now. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to have to, like, denounce you at this point. Dude, you're not supposed to use a megaphone. Before it was okay, <laughs> but now you've crossed the line. Well, anyway, there's historic flooding in the Midwest right now. They're saying that right now for farmers, which, you know, much of agriculture in the United States is in is, is in the Midwest, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, you know, the, 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 this area, the, the, the fertile area of the Midwest. And it is insane flooding. Crazy property damage. Crops are being just devastated. Um, farm bankruptcies are at like a 30-year high right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the damage that's being done because of the flooding that is the direct result of, of climate change. 
It's also Donald Trump's economic policies relative to tariffs and the fucking trade war. All of that is having a crazy effect, a damaging effect on farmers. Well, Steve King represents this this area, a district within farmland, Mm -hmm. farm country. So he does a town hall. And rather than just be encouraging, we're going to be here for you. Thank you for your steadfast uh, support. I'm going to do whatever I can to to marshal the, the power of the federal government as a congressman to help you get through this. Instead, he takes it to a, to a place of racism, comparing the white Iowans within his district, the same people that don't mind reelecting a fucking white supremacist, these people. And he compares them... To those black folks down in New Orleans during Katrina. He doesn't say black folks. But when you talk about Iowa and you compare it to New Orleans, everybody fucking knows. Anyway, Anderson Cooper did. uh, I just I love Anderson Cooper. And oftentimes, especially for him in this case, because he spent weeks and weeks down in New Orleans during Katrina. He takes he takes him just to task and tears him apart. And in this clip of Anderson, you're going to hear the audio of Steve King. We want to take a few moments on this very busy day in Washington to focus on some new comments made by Congressman Steve King, comments which traffic yet again in racist stereotypes and are simply not true. As you know, there's been a disaster in the Midwest. Entire towns have been flooded and lives have been lost. Iowa Congressman Steve King, whose recent defense of white nationalism drew condemnation in the form of a disapproval resolution from all but one of his fellow House members, held a town hall in his district yesterday. His focus was the flooding there, and in fairness, he seemed to be doing all he could to offer encouragement to his constituents, who certainly are hurting. But Congressman King chose to compare the suffering in Iowa and elsewhere and the reaction of citizens there to the suffering in New Orleans and elsewhere after Hurricane Katrina. He did it in a way that, yet again, relies on racist stereotypes. What he said was unfair, untrue, and unbecoming of a member of Congress. Here's what FEMA tells me. We go to a place like New Orleans, and everybody's looking around saying, who's going to help me, who's going to help me? We go to a place like Iowa, and we go, we go see, knock on the door at, at uh, say, I'm giving, make up a name, John's place, and uh, say, John, if you got water in your basement, we can write you a check, we can help you. And uh, John will say, well, wait a minute, let me get my boots. It's Joe that needs help. Let's go down to his place and help him. Now, I'm not sure when comparing one terrible human tragedy to another terrible human tragedy became acceptable for elected officials or for anyone else, for that matter. There should be no sliding scale of suffering. Iowans today are hurting. They deserve all the help, all the compassion, all the respect that anyone can muster. But keeping them honest, does any Iowa family feel any better by hearing their congressman talk about how supposedly worse Louisiana, Louisiana families behaved? Congressman King seems to think so. He seems to believe that John or Joe would somehow not be moved by someone like Herbert Getridge of the Lower Ninth Ward in New Orleans. When we met him in 2007, he was 83 in the middle of rebuilding the home that he and his wife had lived in for decades. How's the rebuilding going? It's going pretty good, not as fast as I expected it to go, but uh, we're making progress. And people might think they're talking, you know, that you got some big company working with you rebuilding. You are in your house every day, every night, rebuilding it on your own. Well, I had quite a few people. I had a bunch of people from uh, Kansas City, Kansas. A church group. The National Baptist Lemon, they call themselves. I've had uh, Common common Relief, Billy Billy, uh, Crystal. Came down well, I have help. quite a few people. I can't think of all of them. Salvation Army. Do I have quite a few people coming on in and gave me a pretty good help out. Well, Herbert Getridge never talked to me about handouts. He got help, as you heard, from church groups and good people and may have gotten aid from FEMA as well. He was an American, and that's what FEMA is for. When I met Mr. Getridge, he was by himself working on the house he owned, the house that he had paid for and the house that he'd loved. So you're sleeping, you've been sleeping on a cot in your home that you're fixing up? I moved back in that house in March. I left Baton Rouge. I left Madison in October of last year, and I moved to Baton Rouge with a daughter, and I couldn't stay there for thinking about my house back here in New Orleans. But the trouble was, we couldn't get in here right away. They kept us out a long time. I think I got in here in December. 
Is it scary? I mean, you're virtually the only one in this neighborhood at night. You know, there's no electricity around here. Man, I ain't scared of nothing, man. I've been all overseas. World War II carried me (laughs) all over the world. I made it to Japanese and the Germans. I made it and I came back. I can come through Katrina. Not Not a big deal. He wasn't scared of nothing, he said. Not a big deal. Mr. Getridge had been through a lot in his life, and he was standing tall, and he was working hard. And I can't tell you how many people I met like him in New Orleans and Waveland, Mississippi, and Bay St. Louis, and lots of other towns. More than 1,800 people died due to the storm. Mr. King made no mention of them, nor of the thousands who, in the midst of their grief and their loss, reached out to help their neighbors. Our thoughts are with the people of Iowa and Nebraska and all those who lost so much in flooding. But 13 or so years after Katrina, almost 14 this, uh, this September... My thoughts are also still with the people of New Orleans and Mississippi, those who made it home and those who didn't. We are, all of us, human beings and Americans. And the words Congressman King spoke yesterday say a heck of a lot more about him than they do about anyone or anything else. Indeed, they do. Yeah, well spoken. Unfortunately, uh, Steve King got reelected this last round. That's right. So... Uh, hopefully the people that live in Iowa will not make that mistake again. Yeah, I wonder about his district because he's been reelected many, many times. And, I mean, we'll see because all of this craziness that happened where he doesn't even have committee assignments now. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sit on a single committee now. Yeah. And not because Democrats removed him from his committees, but because Republicans, leadership, Kevin McCarthy and the leadership within the House, Republicans mm-hmm. said, uh-uh, after his... White supremacy? When did that become bad language? When did that fall out of favor? (laughs) He's also the guy that during the Republican National Convention said, name one civilization that has done more than Western, than white civilization, Western civilization. Mm -hmm. More, uh, contributing more to the world. Right. I mean, Muslims invented algebra, but you know. White people. It's all about white people, Brittany. Mm. Anyway, goddamn. It's frustrating to say the least that there are still pockets in this country that that prop a guy like this up and continue to reelect him time after time after time when he says says and believes, more importantly, believes abhorrent, hateful, racist shit. Anyway. We'd love to know what you think, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Tani Talua Adiwomi. Wow, I am, let, let me, very good. Just I don't even know if that's correct, but that was a valiant effort. Yes, I tried. So um, he is an eight-year-old boy who is currently living in a homeless shelter in Manhattan, but he just won his category at the New York State, New York State Chess Championship. And he is just a very impressive young person. And we have a little clip here about him. I can't go there. Tanatalua Adewumi is tenacious and smart. And like other good chess players, he simply sees things on the board his opponents do not. What I like most about chess is deep thinking. Deep thinking. Yeah, I mean like deep. Tani handily won the New York State chess tournament in his age group this year. Not bad for an eight-year-old who only learned to play the game a year ago. His family came to America from Nigeria two years ago. Christians fleeing persecution, his dad works two jobs, and his mother just passed a home health care course. Where do you live? We live in Sheta. Yes, the Adewumis are homeless. So one of his coaches started a GoFundMe page to help out. And as Tani's story spread, the money started pouring in. People are good. People want to support Tani Talua. The Ottawumis are overwhelmed, proud of their son who was heading to nationals in May and stunned by the generosity of a city and country where they prayed to find refuge. I'm so proud of him. Like in chess, making the right move can make all the difference. Harry Smith, NBC News, New York. 
So Nicholas Kristof wrote about Tawny in the New York Times, and that's how I found out about him. And I really liked this one line in Nicholas Kristof's column. He wrote, quote, Tawny is a reminder that refugees enrich this nation and that talent is universal, even if opportunity is not. Yeah. So here you have this young person who is fleeing persecution, coming to this country, uh, living in a homeless shelter, and found chess. Yeah. Which, by the way, I admire because I'm a dummy. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the chess. And chess is a smart person's game. Yeah. <laughs> and he has this this natural talent and yeah. ability. Yeah. And he's just dominating. And he he's so young and he's already so good. And someone like Donald Trump, right, looks at refugees and thinks that they are less than. Someone like Steve King. Right. Looks at refugees and thinks yeah. less than. Steve King, who said that uh, that DACA recipients, you got to watch them. They have, they have calves the size of cantaloupes from packing bales of marijuana across the border. DACA recipients. Mm-hmm. What the... Anyway, yes, you're, you're correct. Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, so I, I fly off the handle. So I just I really like that line, right? Tawny is a reminder that refugees enrich this nation and that talent is universal, even if opportunity is not. And even without the opportunities that most other kids get, he is excelling. Yes. And that is impressive. And we are very happy for him and excited for his family that they are receiving such generosity from strangers. And it's it's awesome. Very, very awesome. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to leave it there. Episode 500. Can you believe it? I still can't sometimes. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, email us those voice memos from your smartphones to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next time on episode 501. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.